You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. All right, so during this series on heaven, I've hopefully you've been able to uh, kind of follow along with us. If not, I'd love for you to go and go back on the podcast and check it, but you're willing to stay here. Uh, please listen to the sermon, but later on go back and you can follow up. But you'll notice a few times what I've done in the, these openings is I've done things that made you feel uncomfortable to do different things. So what I'm gonna do here is to do follow suit. Um, some of the introverts, I apologize. We don't do this every Sunday because I know there's a lot of introverted people. But what I want you to do right now is um, just uh, greet the person next to you or near to you. You can, you can shake their hand um, and you can say hi to them. Please shake someone's hand near to you. I'll give you 30 seconds. Awesome. Good job. I see lots of people shaking hands. All that. I always get nervous about these because I feel like as soon as I open the door, it, I can't reel it back in. You know, you guys, it's Hope Fellowship Church, and we joke all the time, all right, the fellowship's supposed to end. This is Hope No Fellowship Church, okay? So stop it, all right? So I do worry about, like, I'll never get them back, you know? So, so I had you greet. I saw some of you get up, physically shake someone else's hand. Um, and I, and I, I think some of us maybe thought that would never have been possible two years ago. Uh, but I literally just had a group of people touch each other, okay? And that was extraordinary. And you think, well, that was just a, a, a thing you did. Well, the point was purposeful. Because I literally had you, as people, physically contact one another. Look each other in the eyes recognize the physical existence and the bodily presence that we have. And I am sorry for those of you who are online watching who can't be here with us together. I know that's hard for many of you. And I know I, technology is wonderful, but we lack that ability here in technology to actually be able to grasp and, and hold someone else's hand and shake their body, their hand, to touch someone else. And I know I'm sounding kind of strange. You're like, this is normal. We do this all the time. But if you think about how important that is, uh, human interaction, bodily presence, uh, the, throughout the church, the greeting of peace, God's peace to you, and I shake your hand. I recognize you, I look you in the eyes, and I have a friendly greeting to you. There's this welcome, right? I think that's important for us to even consider as we talk about the resurrection of the body today. The church, when you come into this building, you do not have a sign that says, please do not touch, right? Okay, have you ever been to a museum? Have you ever been to a museum? And uh, you go to the, I actually enjoy museums because I'm kind of boring like that, but I like museums. One time my wife and I got to go to the Met, I think in New York City it was, and you walk through the museum and there are signs like that everywhere. Do not touch, do not touch, do not touch, do not touch. These beautiful ancient works of art, priceless pieces of art, priceless pieces of history, like the only one of the kind thing, and it, it, you don't go up to that and just, oh, pick that up, oh wow, this is cool. No, you don't even touch it. You look at it from a distance and you get an experience with it. But have you ever been to a children's museum? You know? 
Uh, they, I think they still exist somewhat. Children's Museum, or uh, they call those, or, or they um, touch and feel museums, or some of these places like a children's place. You go and everything is to be explored and experienced. You're to go and play in all the sensory different situations that are, are, are kind of different places. There's a little train over there. There's a car and a plane. There's a little doctor's station, a cooking station with toys galore. Kids can run in there, and they are not told, hey, don't touch that. Don't go over there. In fact, the very opposite. They're told to go and explore and enjoy everything that is in front of them. And uh, the unsanitariness that is there, whatever, we just enjoy that as well, right? Okay, we just don't think about it. Um, so I, I wonder sometimes, though, if that's kind of maybe our view of heaven uh, is, is what we've talked about throughout this series. This, this do not touch ethereal, non-material existence. That when we die, yes, we're body. We have a physical body here. But when I die, I float up into the sky. And when the Lord returns, we will then just join him in the air and exist in the clouds for eternity as like spirit bodies or something. And I think sometimes we need to really press into the scripture about how important our bodies are. How important the physical earth is. I think heaven, and particularly as I'm speaking about, not last week, the present heaven but the in, and the intermediate heaven, but particularly the new heaven and the new earth will, will feel less like a museum of do not touch and more like a children's museum of please enjoy and find and see and experience and explore and adventure. Very much like the earth we have here, yet without sin. With a body that it, very much like we have now, yet without sin and corruption, an imperishable one. And so it's that kind of beginning that I want us to think through as we kind of go into this idea of 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 talks so much about this idea and before we read the passage, I want to give one more aspect of intro. And we think about it, I've already given it to you, but if, you were to, if I were to ask you just cold turkey, what's the most important event in the history of the world? What's the most central element to the Christian faith? Well, I recognize there are some things if you get technical, some of you are getting technical, and you're like, well, this can't happen without this, and you know. But, but, but if, if we're gonna take this archway, I remember in, in uh, the, the Mayan ruins in Copan, Honduras, there's this beautiful archway the Mayans built, and there's this keystone uh, right in the middle. It's very similar to the Greek architecture and Roman architecture that you'll find. This beautiful stone archway, but it's all, there's no mortar or anything. It's all leaning on one another. And if you removed one of the side stones, it would kind of fall in on each other and support. But if you remove that one central keystone, you slide that out, the entire archway in the building comes crashing down. It's all based on this one cornerstone and, and if I were to ask you the Sunday school answer what's the Sunday school answer it's Jesus yeah right yeah like that's the answer and yes it's Jesus but what particularly is central to our faith about Jesus what is it about Jesus well he came on Christmas time we we celebrate that but but still what is it he could have come and left but no he came uh, you're like it's the cross well yes it's the cross but if he stayed dead we still have a problem so the the central element the central most important aspect of our entire faith how everything rests on one thing that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important event in human history. It is something that we uh, rally around. It's something that informs, yes, our salvation, but also our future, right? It informs our future about what we believe about heaven and the new earth. 
It informs even that, and that's what we're gonna be looking at, at today. The Apostles' Creed, we uh, recite it often at different times. He descended to the dead, and on the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We're familiar with this. And then from there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. And then the final stanza of the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the, some of you know it, the resurrection of the body. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes we, we just kind of pass through that one maybe. The resurrection of the body and then the life everlasting. Amen, right? And so these are the key elements I want to focus on today. The third day he rose again from the dead. And that informs and influences our understanding and belief of the resurrection of the body, which will exist with God in, the he- in heaven forever. New heaven and the new earth. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12, where we get this concept. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. We are gonna be, as best we can, jumping all over and kind of going through 1 Corinthians 15. We're gonna be all over this chapter. Many would say 1 Corinthians 15 is top three greatest chapters in all of the Bible. Many would say Romans 8 and uh, would be the top. And so if you're gonna do like a top five, whatever, all time list, it's not really, nobody ever did that with the Bible, but if I was making a top five list of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15 would clearly be top three. I think it's like one of the most greatest chapters ever written in the Bible. Of course, every chapter is great, uh, whatever. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12, uh, it says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Verse 13, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. You've heard me read this passage and you've heard me say this passage before. I've preached on this one before. Basically, we get to this passage and this verse and we basically say preaching is in vain if Christ is not raised. So meaning, go home, we're done. You have no reason being here, right, okay? But but luckily, there is a reason for being here. Verse 15, we are even found to, um, sorry, uh, verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised and our preaching is vain, verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins, right? So time to go home, we got no hope. Verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, meaning your loved ones that you uh, are hoping to see one day, good luck, that ain't gonna happen because everyone's still perished in their sins. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Again, a very well-known passage. I'm sure you've heard it before. I wanna dig into this and other passages today. If we have hope in this life only, we are a people most to be pity. You ever heard someone say, such a pity, such a pity. Imagine globally, such a pity. And maybe you today, maybe you come in today, I don't know, maybe you come in today without hope actually. Yes, it can be a rough week, hard, difficult things, but eternally speaking, you actually don't know what is being talked about today. 
you actually don't know that there is life after death. You haven't believed in Jesus Christ and the, his resurrection from the dead. That is a foretaste and a first fruit of your future resurrection. You, you look at your life and there is a terminus at the end. There's a timeline to your existence. There is an end where the credits roll and on the screen it says the end. <laughs> but for those in, of us who are in Christ, those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, the end <laughs> is not the end. Right? It's, it's only the beginning, many would say, right? And, and so this is, is kind of in our heart for the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that he has made everything beautiful in its time and season. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. I've just been dwelling on that this last week, thinking about that verse. He has put eternity into man's heart. There is Always, from every corner of the entire globe, there has been the sense of eternity and something more, something eternal, something beyond the grave. Every religion, every country on the face of the planet has looked beyond the grave and looked beyond what is here because eternity, a sense of something more, a sense of awe and worship of something greater than ourselves is within every single living human being. And so that sense of, of reality there is there. And so I think we speak into a message today. I guess every sermon that carries the gospel carries this, but especially today's sermon, and especially our series on heaven, is a matter of life and death. <laughs> Could, could we say that in a sense that this topic of resurrection, this topic of heaven is a matter of life and death. There's not too many things that you're gonna do next week, I, I, I would say. Not too many things that you're gonna do next week. I actually don't know some of your jobs or maybe Jeff who flies a plane. Maybe his job is a matter of life and death because if he gets his job wrong, it, it, you know, something happens, right? And so there, but there aren't too many things in life that we do day in and day out that are a matter of life and death that are extremely urgent this mass message, this chapter, this passage, this concept is literally a matter of life and death. And that's what is so extraordinary about preaching the truth of the word of God and the gospel and passages like 1 Corinthians 15. When we consider our future home and our place that our body will reside for eternity is an incredibly important thing. And so, do we lose hope at times? Do we struggle to keep the faith? These are phrases we use. Yes. But, but is there certain times when we feel as if, what is all of this based on? What is it that all of this religion is, is founded on? What's, what are we standing on right now? Well, a platform. But how is it that I can get up here and say that, the, that, that, that there is life after death? How is it that I can say that? Where does that come from? Am I just this delusional, wish dream kind of a preacher? <laughs> are we just hoping for something? You know, kind of this wishfulness? Or is there evidence? Is there hard, concrete truth that there is a, as we sang about, a living hope? Is there a living hope? And what is that founded on? Well, we've already mentioned it. The foundation of our living hope is found in verse 20. Look with me in verse 20. Verse 20 says, 1 Corinthians 15, and I love the way the Bible uses this. Some of us are factual people, some of you are emotional people, and some of you are a mixture of both. It says right here, verse 20, but in fact. I love that, right? But in fact, 
In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. It's an extraordinary fact, and I would say the most important fact on the face of the planet. Christ has been raised from the dead. This is a fact. He gives you the evidence of this fact already in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. And I think I, have, I will read a few of those verses for sake of time, but in 1 Corinthians 15, he gives you the supporting statements of that fact, okay? Because sometimes we're like, well, that, that isn't much of a fact to me. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, this is the gospel which he preached to us. Verse, um, let's start in verse three. Again, he's talked about this is by which you've been standing on and being saved by, and then verse three. For I delivered to you, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Then it goes on, verse five. That he appeared to Cephas, and then to the 12, this is his physical resurrection appearances after uh, he was raised. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Meaning if you don't believe me, go talk to them, right? Well, during the time period in which this was written. Verse seven, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and then as Paul is writing, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. And so this is an extraordinary statement supporting the fact of Jesus' resurrection, that the resurrection of Jesus is the single most important event in human history. Probably the most important event of the past, which is a foretaste and a, and a prototype of our future. So much of what we do with the past is we look at the past and we use it to inform our future. And what Jesus did on the cross and what he did as he rose from the grave informs our physical future and our physical and eternal and spiritual life. Resurrection of Jesus took place, yes, 2,000 years ago, a long time ago. But it informs my present right now and informs and influences my hope for a future and a, a, of eternal bliss with heaven, with God for eternity. First Corinthians 15 verse 20 goes on, verse 23. You already saw the word, I want you to pick it up there in verse 20 where it says first fruits. Did you guys see that? Then look at verse 21. We'll see the word pop up here again. Verse 21, I want you to think about that first fruits. For as by a man came death, which man is that? Which Adam came death, right? So Adam, by a man came death, and by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. So who came the resurrection of the dead? That's Christ. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, but so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You see that? Then verse 23 says, but each to his own order, Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, and then it says then comes the end. So this idea of the first fruits is something maybe foreign to you and to me, but I think the idea is not difficult to understand. It, it talks about those who have fallen asleep, those who have died and passed away, and they are now, as we looked at last week, they are awake in the presence of the Lord, the intermediate heaven, in present heaven. It's not necessarily this loss of consciousness, but an eternal awaking, an eternal consciousness in the glory of God in the present heaven now. But Christ is a first fruit of their future resurrected resurrection, the bodily resurrection and our future resurrection, a first fruits, that's in verse 20 and verse 23. 
The, the word first fruit is this idea, I've already mentioned it several times, you've probably picked up this idea of a foretaste. It's a figurative expression of the offering that was given to God at harvest time, that they were to bring the first fruits of their offering as a testimony of giving that to God, that he gives the increase of what was to follow the first fruits. Right, so this emphasis of something that is being presented to God as a first fruit offering that is a testimony of what is still yet to be harvested and coming after it. It's a prototype. The first and the best portion of the coming harvest. One writer says the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This first fruits, Paul uses a metaphor from agriculture to indicate that we will be like Christ just as the first fruits or the first taste of the ripening crop show what the rest of the harvest will be like for that crop, so to Christ as the first fruits shows what our resurrection bodies will be like when in God's final harvest he raises us from the dead and brings us into his presence when he returns. And so this is the order that he speaks about, that Christ is the first in that order, right? He's resurrected from the dead and in fact he has ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God and we are awaiting his return to then bring us with him. And so this idea that he is the first order, he is the first fruit of our resurrection and then it, it says each in our own order, then we follow him. We who belong to him. Jesus is the prototype of the resurrection of mankind and co- co- together with that, the resurrection of the earth. It is a prototype of what Jesus does with the dust. So Jesus' resurrection, this foretaste of resur- our resurrection, our hope and, and the future earth of what it all entails is enveloped up in Jesus as our guarantee. And so it is, it, uh, it funerals that I do, I have, is a, have the honor as a pastor to go through these times and these times of, uh, that are very difficult for people and very difficult for me as well. And I've learned in these funerals and burials, it's, it's often, when I do a, 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 a funeral of someone who is a, a believer, there is always a tension, a tension of sadness and sorrow mixed with joy and gladness. It, it's, it's just there, and I can't try to, sometimes we try to tease them out and like put emphasis more on one or the other, and, and we'll, if you're in the grief classes here at the church that will do that, we know that's not good either. It's pressing into where we're at and sometimes trying to only say, I'm only gonna feel this today is not, not what we need to be. Uh, I'm not gonna be sad today or I'm only gonna be happy today. You know, it's, it's, it's a recognizing that there's this tension, but the tension of, of sorrow and missing our loved ones and yet the joy and the gladness that they are in the presence of God and that we will see them again one day that tension is rooted in the concept and the very central cornerstone of Jesus' Christ, Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And throughout church history, there's been a tradition uh, I, I found as I was reading that they said it was more common in, I think, English uh, places in England and in Great Britain, in cemeteries in that place, where a lot of the gravestones would begin to look like this. Now, I, I recognize some of you in the very back might have difficulty seeing this, um, or those of you who, you know, but I, I couldn't get it different. But on the top of this central, there's kind of this curving phrase, and the curving phrase right over that angel's head is the word resurgum, resurgum. That is, the, that's Latin for I will rise again. 
I've always, I've found that just so poignant where is this cemetery and there are a variety of graves and yet this person has marked on their grave above it this Latin phrase, resurgum, I will rise again. When the Lord returns, I will rise, right? I think there's even that famous Chris Tomlin song, I shall rise or I will rise. That's the the concept today, thinking through this idea that there is a life after death. When our bodies are laid in the ground or however we pass away, when our bodies pass away, there's this aspect of this hope that is a living hope of resurrection that when the Lord returns, we will rise, right? And that that's this extraordinary physical resurrection that we long for and Jesus is our first fruit of that. Jesus is alive, so we too will be alive. That's why when we were singing, I heard some of you clapping some of those songs. You were, praise the king, he is risen. Praise the king, he's alive, we sang, right? And it's like, wow, but why is that good news for you? It's good news because he's alive, but because we believe in the one who's alive, his spirit is within us, and we too will be alive one day when he returns. As we find ourselves living right now, we too will join him in that eternal life. This is that aspect that maybe you think, well, that's obvious, but I think it's important to think through. I wanna run through a few of these ideas as well. That, that Jesus, when we look to Jesus, look to Jesus and his resurrection, we can say that all day, but what does that actually mean? And why is that so important for you and for me? From my physical life right now here on this earth with skin and a body standing on a physical earth, why is it important for us to think about Jesus' resurrection and his future return and what those resurrection uh, appearances meant for us even now? See, Jesus was alive, so we will too be alive. Jesus was recognizable. People knew who he was and recognized him as Jesus of Nazareth after, before he was on the cross and after the grave. There's a sense we talked about last week. I don't know if you remember, I picked up on it. I, I mentioned the word, there's a word called continuity. Do you remember that? Maybe not an everyday word we use all the time. Continuity. The idea of continuity is, might sound just like this bigger term. It is very important, especially in regards to our eternal life. Continuity is this idea, yes, yet we will continue to be you in the present heaven until the Lord returns, but you will continue to be you when he returns and restores all things. The you that you are will be the you that you are forever. Did, did that make any sense? I don't know, right? The you, I just said a phrase, that you, the you that you are, the you, whatever. You, you are you, right? And you're like, well, that's obvious. Not in today's world. Not in today's culture. The you that you are is whatever you want to be because we become the gods of ourselves and we get to define that rather than God being the one who defines our identity and who we are. And so that's very important, not only presently, but also eternally, because who I am, Jordan Moody, six foot three, okay, um, white guy here, right, whatever I am, my likes and interests and dislikes, this is who I am. And that isn't gonna become something completely different in the future. Yet I will be who I am, yet without sin. Isn't that, isn't that extraordinary? And so what that is exactly, I can't fully define it for you. I don't know, uh, but I do know that I will uniquely be me. And I think that's, I can't get in that point. That's a whole nother sermon. Where, where the point of that who you are now, it, God actually values you now. He cares about who you are in your personality and your strengths and weaknesses. He cares about you now Yes, also for eternity when he perfects his work and his workmanship in you. That we are human, we'll always be human. 
God came to redeem humanity and he has actually taken humanity with him, right? And I, I know, I'm getting off track. He, he, he goes down into the grave and he, he takes that humanity and he elevates it and ascends it to the right hand of the throne of God. Right now, Jesus is fully God and fully human in heaven right now and he will be human for eternity. Is that not extraordinary? But you think about the fact that he did not take humanity and punt it and start over. He took it and restored it. He restored it, and he's going to do that for the earth and for you and for me. And so Jesus' continuity is so significant. That, that's that concept. Hank Hanegraaff even says that there is a one-to-one correspondence between the body of Christ that died and the body that rose. Do you get that? When the body was placed into the grave, he didn't then be resurrected into a completely different body or he didn't become a Cupid or he didn't resurrect and transform into like a dragon or something. He became Jesus. He took that body in the grave and he restored it and he was now in his resurrected, glorious, yes, transformed state, but he was still Jesus of Nazareth. And then that's the same for you and for me, which is incredible to consider. It's incredible to consider. Maybe that DNA, how it works, I don't know. We're not gonna get into that. But, but, But also, Mary, the gardener, in John chapter 20, you can even turn there with me if you just wanna look at, there's several passages in there I'm just gonna reference. I don't have time today to read them all. But Mary, the gardener, and, and the gardener. Mary's, uh, after Jesus has risen, Mary Magdalene is, is weeping in the garden, and, and she thinks she's talking to the gardener, right? And it's almost as if they say in that culture, oftentimes, especially crying, she probably didn't get a good look at Jesus. It wasn't also very, um, uh, for, it was informal for a woman to really look into the eyes of another man as alone in a place like that, and so she probably had her eyes down. But then when he spoke, She heard his voice, she recognized him, rabbi, rabbi, and then she clung to him, she physically touched him, she heard and recognized his voice, his voice had the same sound as it had before. Do, Do you see these, how extraordinary these things are? Little tiny details, but give us an influence as to what maybe our body will be like. The disciples in John 20, 20, they recognized him, they recognized him, John 20, 20, peace be with you. Then he said, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They saw him with their own eyes. Jesus and Thomas have an interaction. Hey, I'm not gonna believe this guy until I touch the hand, you know, touch, see the scars and touch the, hand, the holes in his side. I, I don't believe in Jesus appears and says, go ahead, okay? And go ahead, not like this ethereal spirit-like, but a, but a physical body. And then we know that Jesus had these scars. I was asked this week, will, will we have scars in heaven? And it's, I, I don't believe we will have these scars in heaven, but I think the picture of Jesus continually having scars and a hole in his side is a, an eternal testimony of his grace to humanity and his sacrifice that he gave eternally. Jesus will have these scars displaying the great lengths that he went to love you and me and save you and me. And so it's almost like an eternal testimony of his scars. That's, that's my thought on that. But we await this new body, this new, new aspect, but this new body is not ghost-like. It's not ghost-like in John 20, actually Luke 24. John 20 talks about it, but Luke 24 literally says this. In the NLT, Jesus tells the disciples, he says, I'm not a ghost. Isn't that, that kind of cool? I love how the NLT just makes it really simple. Hey, I'm not a ghost. Because Luke 24, 39 says, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see 
For a spirit or a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Your body too, like Jesus's, will have flesh and bones. That's extraordinary. For Jesus, in the beginning, with the Trinity, uh, they said, let us make man in our image. And how did they do that? They made a body out of the dust of the ground and they breathed into him the breath of life. And man was not a human, man and woman, I would say, were not human until those two were jointly put together. Humanity is in the Old Testament spoken of as a nephesh. The Hebrew word nephesh speaks of body and soul united together. That is why at death, when there seems to be this separation, it feels so unnatural. It's not the way God intended it. At the beginning, God made humanity, body and soul, whole together forever. And that he called, as we know in our church, the, the Hebrew word for good, tov. He called it tov. It was good very good. And then and not, last but not least before we get through some of this is, is Jesus ate food. Right, some of you are like, wow, whew, thankful for that. You know, and some of you are thinking about food. Really? Is he almost done? Okay. You're like five, ten minutes. All right. Jesus ate food. And you're like, oh, this is obvious or dumb. I don't, have you thought about that? John 20 talks about him eating food and breaking bread with the, uh, with, with the people at the road of the Maus who recognized him. And then Luke 24 verse 42 for 43 he appears to the disciples and they're having like a little cookout. <laughs> and he said, hey, they, uh, can I have some food? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, Luke 24, and he took it and he ate it before them. I, just, I, just, I don't know, I love the simplicity of that statement. Just like Jesus ate food and he liked the food, okay? So I really believe in heaven, in the new heaven and the new earth, we will enjoy food. It will be wonderful. Jesus' resurrection, the first fruits of our future resurrection. He's a, a prototype of it all. So as we're kind of bringing this all to a close, I want to kind of give some brief kind of ways of trying to describe why this is important too from this passage in 1 Corinthians 15. I recognize I'm not going to have enough time. This is chapter is lengthy. 1 Corinthians 15:22 I think gives it in a very simple way. 1 Corinthians 15:22 says, "For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive." If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, thus it is written, 45, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Okay, dust was uh, dust and breathed into him the breath of life. Then the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Who's the last Adam? That's Jesus Christ. Who's the first Adam? That's Adam and Eve. You have these two concepts. The first Adam came and sinned and rebelled against that. We now all die. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Adam, you die. In Christ, known here in this passage as the last Adam, we all live. It's just, it's just a beautiful upside down flipping the script. Jesus now is our human and divine representative he now takes the federal head for all of us. It is now Jesus who we look to it is now Jesus who is our Father and our Savior. His Spirit is within us, therefore we live. So this is the theological basis for why Jesus' resurrection has anything to do with you. Because Jesus is the last Adam, the final sacrifice, the one who stands in front of, I don't have time to get into all of this, but Romans 5 says, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if by one man's trespasses, many died, right, Adam. 
How much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to many? And the gift is not like one man's sin because from one man's sin came judgment resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. If by one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Romans 5, it's a beautiful statement which is a succinct statement of the whole argument of 1 Corinthians 15. He tells us, Christ, the first fruits, the end and this continuing on. One day he will turn the resurrection of the just and the unjust in Acts 24. He speaks of this, that we will rise. And so this is so important. Like David's example, yes, we, we sorrow in that funeral. We sorrow and we're sad that we have to say goodbye. Like David, and when his uh, son uh, was, he prayed that his son would, would not die, would not be taken from him. He wept and he sorrowed and he fasted and he prayed. And he said, God, please don't do this. Please save him. And when his child died, you know what he did? He got up, he washed himself, he ate food, and he worshiped God. Because David said, I cannot bring him back to me, but I will go to him. There's a, there's a hope of resurgum. Even with David, there's a hope of I will rise and be with him again one day. I cannot bring him back now because it is in God's time and there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. Death is something that we all will face for our bodies are in Adam. But it is our spirit which is in Christ that we await this death being a simple doorway to take us to God. It is something we all have to face. It's something that 1 Corinthians 15 talks about. And it goes in even in more in length where someone will ask, how are the dead raised? Verse 35, with what kind of body do they come? Verse 36, you foolish person, he says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And some of you, and he says, what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps a wheat or some other grain. The very concept here, briefly, is the concept that you cannot come to eternal life unless you die, like a seed. Maybe you have gardens, and when you were planting your garden in the spring, you didn't take your seeds and place them on the counter and place them and line them up on the counter and, and just hope for growth, okay? You took that seed and you did something. You put it in the ground. It is that burying a seed, it is that sense here, the metaphor is made for us, that the seed is buried into the ground and into the darkness, it is buried, and from that seed it dies and it bears fruit. This is the concept that Jesus died on the cross. He was buried so that he could bear fruit of eternal resurrection and eternal life. The same goes for you and for me. That's why it is difficult, yes, and sad when we say loss. But when my body is buried into the ground, there is a hope of resurgum. There is a hope that that little seed, the perishable body of Jordan Moody, will be buried into the ground, but it will rise again. That's the beauty of the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ that allows us to get through the hardest things of life. He talks about how, yes, there are different kinds of seeds, there are different kinds of bodies, of animals, of, of plants, and of fish, but not all yield the same results. Yeah, my daughters were the other day, they love to catch newts. You know, those little newts, and they just love salamander catching. 
And yet, unfortunately, sometimes they don't let the salamanders go, okay? And we all know what happens to a salamander in a bug catcher when it's baked overnight, okay? <laughs> and it doesn't live, right? The next day, I remember my wife had the, uh, the kids and they, they were doing something in the, the woods. Uh, they were taking that little salamander and they were burying it and they had a little service for the tiniest newt, okay? But do we place our hope and our faith in that salamander that from that salamander comes eternal life? No, it's many different types of bodies. He says there are many different types of seeds. Many seeds and animals and plants will be buried into the ground that will not bear forth fruit, will not bear forth life. Is your body one of the incorruptible sense of your spirit? Will you be buried and then bear eternal life? The Bible says, so what is it that is with the resurrection of the dead? What is sown is perishable. What is raised is Im- imperishable. This is 42. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. Have you, you ever seen the, the hardships of, of death? It is weak and hard and difficult. And yet it is raised in power. It is sown a, a natural body and yet it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is a spiritual one. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, came a living being, and the last Adam, a living spirit. A spirit, a spiritual body, he says. He doesn't say you will be raised a spirit or raised a ghost, he says you'll be raised a spiritual body. He unites these two, like a nephesh, like a spirit and body. Like a spiritual body, a heavenly body. We are born of the image of the man of dust, he says in 49, so also we will be bear the image of the man of heaven. They will, be, they will converge like heaven and earth, like the new Jerusalem that descends, heaven descending on earth, and heaven and earth are joined together. Wayne Grudem says that Jesus' resurrection affirms the goodness of the material creation, including our bodies. The material creation, the earth, and my body, Jesus' resurrection affirms that this is good, It is incorrupted by sin, but I have destroyed the stain or the sting of death, which is sin. I have destroyed that, and one day I will finally destroy the final enemy, which is death, when he returns. And he ensures that our regeneration will happen. He ensures our justification will happen. It is through his resurrection that he ensures that we too will receive perfect resurrection bodies when he returns. Philippians 3.21 says, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. First Corinthians 6, for God raised the Lord and he will also raise us up by his power. Second Corinthians 4, 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. And 1 Corinthians 15, 20, which reads, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep He has been raised. Jesus is the maker and creator of what we began talking about. The tangible, or as one commentator says, the touchable world. Remember when I had you guys shake your hands and some of you were like, oh man, I gotta talk to somebody else, okay? (laughs) Physical interaction and shaking of hands and the physical experience of people in bodies on a physical earth is not just something here for a temporary time. It is something that God is coming to restore for eternity. It is this aspect of knowing that God has made a touchable, tangible world. Yes, right now with sin, but one day without sin. 
and in perfect harmony with him. Can I close with one final image and final idea? I just want to read the ending of 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to read in verse 50 to the end. Uh, many times I read it at funerals because it is one of the greatest passages. I think we sang it in almost every song we sang today. Okay, we sang this passage. Some of you didn't know that, but in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, I want to close with this. I believe it gives us the greatest hope and a much better conclusion than I could ever give you. And it gives us a great hope for the future. For our loved ones, for the new heaven and the new earth, for the return of Jesus, for our hope right now in the present, and our hope that is a living hope for the future. It says this, verse 50, it's a mystery and a victory. Two things joined together in tension. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does a perishable kind of sense body inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, no longer perishable, they will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Verse 53, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? To that we can clap, right? Clap, clap, clap. That is so true to that. And then it goes on. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then it ends with just in case you forgot, just in case you're living so far beyond Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable today, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that what you do today in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. What you do right now is not a waste. It's not in vain. We await the coming of the Lord, but let us live today steadfast and movable, always abounding in his work, for he is coming again. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for these truths. We thank you, Lord, because we need them. We need them so desperately and dearly when our hearts seem to be crumbling within us, lacking the hope that we need. God, you have given us the living hope, the eternal life, the future excitement for a life with you. Thank you, God, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins, to transform us to be like you, and to walk in your likeness now as you sanctify us day in and day out so that one day, God, We're gonna live with you for eternity. We thank you for that. God, give us a hope for today. Give us faith for today that we would walk with eyes of faith, not just sight here. And God, would you help us to sing about your resurrection power and leave this place being grateful with a smile on our faces, thankful for what you've done for us, praising you, God, for your goodness and for your glory. We thank you for your church. May it stand and may we be ready for your coming. In Jesus' name, amen.